Greetings, peace and love, everyone. This is Ross Ben, and uh, with my good brother Michael Wan, and we are coming together on this Aquarian New Moon, February 11th, to initiate and start something that's really been in the works for a while, and. I know I've gotten feedback from ones saying we needed to do this. And I think Michael has as well, because I've been researching the mystic uh, reality that is what we call Philadelphia today. And I know Michael has is, is like the mystic of the Susquehanna, you know, the master of the Susquehanna alchemy. And yeah, it was really destined that we were gonna to come together and and chop it up, you know, share uh, mutual insight into the mystic regions that we live in because there's one thing in common. Uh, they're both on the 40th parallel, both on the 40th degree of latitude. So, we're coming to you today from the 40th latitude, and that's gonna be the name of this series, from the 40th latitude, from the 40th parallel, because there's so much mystery, history, and prophecy tied into this region. Uh, Michael being centered, out in Lancaster, which is what approximately 60, 70 miles. That's what I'd say. West of Philly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So about 70 miles west of here. And uh yeah, the the importance of ancient and modern history cannot be overstated. So it can't be covered in one episode. We got to make this a series, you know? So uh, I'm thankful the time has come and I'm looking forward to it, you know? So did you want to build on that? Mike? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, I do. Oh, yes, I do. Uh, so, so, so the first thing I want to say, um, and I've got this big smile on my face. So um, like, I like to do these things. I like to talk to people. And in the most part, like when I go on a show like this or do something like this, like I get all of this energy all spun up, all spun up. And I, and I like that. It feels at home when I'm like, you know, I'm like popping, popping, popping. But also like, you know, my nature is, uh, you know, uh, Mars and Pisces, I blend, I blend really, really well. But a lot of times I just push my stuff through. But when there's another energy, which is, which is um, uh, as strong, but but like, let's say, uh, like in a different expression, like I can, I meet that. And what I mean by all of this is there's a cadence to your voice. And what it does to me, and I could feel it, and this is why I'm laughing, is because it like it brings me down. And so to this, mm. this slower rhythm, like normally I'm always like this. And then what I'm excited about this, and this is why I'm really excited, because normally 
you know, I'll, I'll go and explain from my perspective. And it's like, I got so much to share and I'm so excited, but I don't have to do that here. And so, so like this, I think is going to really pull out. I know for me, it's going to pull out maybe something different in terms of how things are expressed and, and, and looked at. And you said mm. something in the beginning, you said that this, this feels like destiny and, or there's a destiny to it. There's a destiny to it. And I want to, I concur. And I want to share a little story. When I started doing the, the, the Susquehanna mystery research, um, like I've always been into research. I've always been into looking at things from a certain way, but it's always been um, kind of like uh, looking at other people's research, uh, looking at, at other interpretations. Like I'm, I'm kind of an observer of someone else's. And when the Susquehanna mystery began for me, it, it very quickly became that I was as involved in the unfolding as the story itself. And this was like about five years ago. And so that's kind of, a, that was an unsettling sort, not, not necessarily unsettling, but new. I was like, all right, wow. Like, you know, is this, I haven't had that experience. And like, I'm talking about a place which outside of central Pennsylvania, like no one knows or, or and or cares. And I was a little bit like, wow, like all of these, all of the, all of the information, which I'm unfold or I'm discovering or is, or is, is, revealing itself to me it's it's on a much much larger scale so i knew i knew that i wanted to share this with a larger audience than my own backyard so all this is going on and i had all of that kind of like inside me like going around as i'm doing the research just being a normal human being and then uh and i can remember this i'm living in marietta at the time right on the river it was in the, it was probably like in, in it may have been a february or march and uh I was doing some art and I was playing um, some podcasts in the background. And I came across, um, it was a video on YouTube of um, Free Your Mind, the Free Your Mind conference. And I live, as you said before, about 60 miles away from Philadelphia. I had no friggin' idea that this was going on. And I've been in like the alternative research since at least 2007. So that was a big shock to me that this whole thing was happening that I didn't even know about it. And so I was first excited about that. And then it's when I discovered your work. It was the first time I heard your work and you did the presentation on um, the, 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 the Philadelphia mystery. And at the same time, at the same time, uh, I'm listening to you do this. It is so complimentary to everything which I was doing. And I recognize like how Philadelphia, like particularly in this particular, in this time frame, 2015, maybe it was, I was, I was, I was concerned that, that like no one, uh, there would not be the interest which I knew should be uh, focused upon this region because it's kind of like no one knows about it. There's nothing like sexy about it. And when I heard you, I, two things happened. One is I knew we were talking about the same thing. And two, when I knew that it was linked to a population center, which people can first see in their minds, people know Philadelphia, you know, just from sports teams, they know Philadelphia, from history class, that I was like, this is a link. This is a link which is destined to unfold. And then also it was the encouragement which I needed 
to continue full, full steam ahead on this research. And it took a while. It took years before I started like getting on a, on a, uh, a platform larger than my own backyard. So it's, it's, to me, this also feels like this was always where it was going to go. And the fact that we're on February 2nd, we're on the new moon in Aquarius. We're about to start, like, you know, I heard this phrase the other day, year one. You know, year zero began, mm. year zero, like technically it began, in my opinion, on March 13th, uh, 2020, because that's when the national emergency was, was indicated by, you know, the executive branch for whatever that means. That was the signal, which we got. So I'm like, all right, it's starting. And then that was a Friday the 13th. Two days later was the Ides of March. Ides of March became a concept of warning in the consciousness through a play called Julius Caesar. That was written by William Shakespeare, AKA Francis Bacon. So I know this is the same sort of, it is the same, it is the same line which is like saying, okay, like, you know, this is the beginning of it. And then lastly is we're about, it was a week before, 10 days before the equinox, the spring equinox, which had been an ancient marker of the new year. So last year, we know everything which has happened. And this is bringing us right now. We've gone through the great conjunction. We're at the new moon in Aquarius and we're getting close to, to, to really the beginning of, of the new year. Uh, and to me, that's what I see is happening or year one, excuse me, year one. And, you know, th there are undoubtedly different storylines and realities which are splitting right now and they're more connected, but like, you know, we all began at year zero and year one, we might be a little bit further apart, but they're gonna grow. And part of, part of where it's gonna grow is understanding, understanding the stories that the, 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 the revelation of the, of, the, of the mysteries so that there is a place to grow outside of the other options and where this this next journey on earth is going to be so to me this is very very significant like on a greater level for all for not just me and you but for like everyone who's watching this and what this stimulates within them so i'm grateful man <laughs> i affirm that. that so just to let ones know the way we're going to do this is uh each, each episode, we're going to choose a topic. I'm going to share a little bit on that topic. Mike's going to share a little bit on that topic. And we're going to come together and just, you know, compare, contrast, synchronize, align, you know, the reasonings and the perspectives that came up. So we're going to start with the 40th parallel. You know, we, that's, 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 that's going to be today's topic, the 40th parallel. What is the significance and relevance of the 40th degree of latitude? So I'm going to go ahead and start Let's see, uh-oh. Says uh, screen oh, sharing is the same. Share. You're absolutely right. You should be good. All right, let's try that again.
Mop. You're up. Oh, yeah. All right. <clears throat> All right. So. Prior to what they call Philadelphia, right? This region was called Shaksamaxin, which means where the kings meet. The territory as a whole was called Lenapihokan, which is a much broader uh, region of land than just Philadelphia. We're gonna actually, you know, get into that, but. Before I do, I guess I'm going to throw out some questions that I want us to ponder on. All right. All right. Why is Lenape Hokan some of the most densely populated land in the nation? Why is Lenape Hokan some of the highest valued real estate globally? Why is Lenape Hokan the economic, cultural, and institutional foundry of this country? Why was this country born in Lenape Hokan? And why is the United Nations today established in Lenape Hokan? These are some very important questions. When you want to really get into what is the significance of the 40th parallel as it relates to Philadelphia, okay? So when we say Lenape Hokan, we're talking about all of New Jersey, uh, a significant swath of Pennsylvania. I would say Lancaster is within Lenape Hokan, whole state of Delaware, and the five boroughs of New York, as well as a little piece of Connecticut, Southern Connecticut, okay? All of that is what was referenced as uh, land of the elders, okay? Hoking, when you see Hoking in Algonquin, that means land of, right? The Lenape, or really we would say, some might just say the Nope, okay? I've heard Lenape is a French uh, version of Nope. Nope in Algonquin means the people man, the like original man, right? But Lenape, Lenape Hokan means land of the elders of humanity. And the Lenape were considered grandfathers, you know? Uh, and they played the role of elders within Algonquin Federation. So if there were disputes 
challenges, issues amongst the Algonquin speakers, sachems or priest kings from each of the clans would come and meet with their elders who were the Lenape. And that's what Philadelphia was. It was like the indigenous nation's capital, Shaksamaxan, the place where the kings meet, okay? Now, that does raise the next question, who are the Algonquin? The Algonquin are not a homogeneous group, okay? One of the etymological roots of the word Algonquin, many feel, is the word Alajibanek, which means coming together from distant places. And what that means is the Algonquin, it seems, or kind of like what you might say, a refugee society. But a refugee society from long time, very long time. And that this region, you know, that we would call the Napihokan, it was a harbor place, a sanctuary, a place of refuge going back almost 13,000 years. That some of the first survivors of Atlantis, you know, some of the, well, I'll say the survivors of Atlantis, this was one of the first places they settled and that there's been continuous inhabitation of this land for like 13,000 years, okay? So that's the root stock of the Lenape of this region, okay? And again, that's why they have the name of being the elders. Next big wave of those seeking refuge seem to can't come around about 1700 through about 1500 BCE. This was a time when there was <clears throat> a lot of political instability and I guess what we would call the old world, particularly the Nile Valley. This was during the second intermediate period it seems that at this time, the uh, priesthood and followers of the Amun-Ra order of Thebes, Meroe, and Napata sought refuge in the Americas. This is who the, the people in history that are referenced as the Omec, okay? The Omeka. And they came here 
in the Americas seeking refuge. The, the one of the pharaohs who were associated with this people was the founder of the 18th dynasty, Ames I. The Yamasi of the Mississippi, you know, who they also would call the Mississippi Mound Builders. Through the Mississippi Ohio Valleys, they linked with that original rootstock that was from Atlantis and built you know, what I guess is best known as the mound building society, post-alluvial mound building society of North America. And from about 1500 BC, uh, really up and close to before colonization, these Algonquin mound builders were the prominent cultural influence in the US, okay? Next big wave came around 750 BC. This was when successive waves of invaders from Assyria, Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, who were invading from the east, forced westward migration for those seeking refuge. And you had a next big wave of those seeking refuge, but this time this wave came through what we would call a northern passage from the British Isles, to Iceland, to Greenland, then to Scotia, and then travel down into the, and throughout the North American continent, okay? Historically, this group, most popularly known as the Lost Ten Tribes of, of Israel, okay? All of these people, oh, and there's even one more wave that came starting around 1200 AD when you had uh, pogroms and, and then eventually the Inquisition causing Judeo-Islamic Moors to flee Europe. And, and again, they took both the tra a transatlantic route coming off of Gibraltar, as well as the Northern Passage, you know? So these who, uh, you know, we would call Algonquin and they're spread out throughout the Americas. You know, there's some in the Western Plains like the Shawnee, the Micmac of Canada, the Blackfoot in the Northeast, 
you got the Pequod or Wampanoag, the Massachusetts, you know, the Pentecost, Montauks and Shinnecock of New York are, they're Algonquin, but they're also considered Lenape. They're, they're, they're considered grandfathers, you know? And uh, down in Virginia region, down where the Susquehanna becomes the Chesapeake, you got the Powhatan, the Nanticoke, right? The Wampanoag, they had a significant place in Algonquin society, similar to the Lenape. They were more like the treasurers. Our currency was wampum, which is the clamshell and purple wampum, which was more valued than white wampum, was harvested in abundance where the Wampanoag lived. And that's how they got their name. Long Island, New York. Sawakani was where Saki wampum, the black wampum, most valued wampum to be harvested. So the Montauk, they had a significant place within Algonquin Federation, you know? And Montauk means place to meet and observe. So this was another Shaksamax and another place where the kings would meet up in Long Island. Okay, so yeah, I mentioned all of this. Now, you got to ask a couple of questions. Why did these elders of humanity choose uh, Shaksamaxan and Montauk as their dwelling places and their places of governance? Well, one reason. Lenape Hokan has some of the oldest land on planet Earth. Okay. Uh, right here within Philadelphia, actually, right, like I live right on this formation. <clears throat> right within Philadelphia, there's a Pangean, what they would call a Pangean microcontinent. A piece of Pangea that never submerged due to tectonic plate movement. When tectonic plates move, they move like uh, the belts on land, plow, uh, land plowers where what's on top eventually rolls on the bottom, what's on the bottom will eventually roll up to the top, right? Well, what's called the Wissahickon Gorge or the Wissahickon Formation, which is a pretty large piece of uh, what they would call Northwest Philadelphia. It never submerged within the tectonic plate movement. It's a piece of Pangea, the land being so old that, uh, you know, it's classified as pre-Cambrian. 
And those that study geology know that the Cambrian period is the oldest geological period that, that there is, you know? Another geological reference to it is called the Avalonia Formation. And you do find it, you know, it's not the only one. There are pieces of Avalonia Formation peppered on both sides of the Atlantic. Okay, but this is very old, old earth. So it will follow that the grandfathers, the elders of humanity would settle on ancient earth, you know? Up in New York at the uh, upper tip of the 40th parallel, in the Bronx, you have what's called the Fordham Formation. And right on the surface of the earth, you can witness a billion years of geologic history. So there's some ancient region, you know? And uh, it really shows that, you know, well, what I would say is beyond the ancient of the land, another significant dimension to the importance of this land is that it's the 40th parallel, you know? And yeah, the elders of humanity established Algonquin governance on a Pangean microcontinent at the 40th parallel. This uh, statue right here is, it's a statue of Tadiskin, a sachem. However, this was the grandmother's council rock. Uh, again, right here on the 40th parallel. So, now, I think all of that's very relevant when we study the order of the Rosy Cross, those that are called Rosicrucians. And why they chose this as the place to, you know, colonize colonized first because the first Rosicrucian to colonize the states came here to Philadelphia and, you know, to take it a little further, why to even birth the nation here. Everything I just talked about is the root to why things went down like that, you know? So, you know, we'd have to start with this guy right here, Johann Kelp, also known as Johannius Kelpius in his Latinized name, right? So Johann Kelp came here with 40 men, 40 initiates, came to the 40th parallel built a lodge 40 by 40 
their funeral plot was 40 by 40. Right? They came here first to find who they called the woman in the wilderness. They didn't call themselves the Order of the Rosy Cross. They called themselves the Society of the Woman in the Wilderness. So they came to the 40th parallel in the wilderness looking for a sacred woman that they felt was key into fulfilling what they, well, what is referenced as millennial prophecy, the, the coming of the thousand years of peace, okay? So this is the stated intention of Johan Kelp. And again, this is my this is my actual neighborhood. I live six blocks from where the Society of the Women of the Wilderness, also known as Hermits of the Ridge, also known as Hermits of the Wissahickon. Okay. These are some of the first names, you know, the various names they're known of, right? So, yeah, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm out here frequent. As many questions as I answer, seven more mysteries manifest. Okay. But uh, here is Johan Kelp's cave. Not only did they just, you know, that they come here to the 40th parallel, but they lived in the wilderness. They lived in caves, okay? And uh, basically what they taught was that the 40th parallel in the wilderness is the place designated in prophecy as where you want to be on judgment day that if you were at, at this vantage point on judgment day you would witness judgment and not be executed judgment okay and again this prophecy was tied into what they called the, the advent of the thousand years of peace or the fulfillment of millennial prophecy. I'm not gonna read it to you, right? I don't like reading scripture, but it's Revelations 20 verses two through five for those that wanna reference it, okay? But it's, it's basically, uh, yeah, we say the the devil, Satan, being bound up and cast into an underground abyss for a thousand years so that humanity could, uh, you know, live at peace on the earth without Satan or the devil's manipulation. That's like, if you want to summarize 
So again, these hermits of the ridge taught that this was the place that if you wanted to witness that happen and not uh, experience, you know, actually experience it, that this was the place to be. Okay. So now that raises a big question, particularly with their name, Society of the Woman in the Wilderness. Where in the Bible do we find reference to the wilderness? Takes us back to Moses when, you know, uh, Moses led the children out of bondage in Egypt. They had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, right? So that is a reaffirmation that Kelp, the Order of the Rosy Cross, they knew who the inhabitants of this land was. And this ties in to what we would call William Penn and his holy experiment. Johann Kelp mentored William Penn, okay? And William Penn came to here to establish Philadelphia as what he called a holy experiment. And he said, hey, if I can create a that you know, I'm summarizing, paraphrasing. But William Penn's holy experiment more or less said, hey, if I can create a colony where the indigenous and the gathered churches of England, which was different denominations, if I could create a colony we could all live together in oneness my colony is going to be saved on judgment day okay and but yo he stacked the deck because he chose to colonize ones who through their prophetic birthright were the ones that, you know, prophecy pointed to being saved on Judgment Day. And that would be the Lenape and the Algonquin, okay? And he chose to colonize a location that prophecy pointed to, to being a safe harbor place on Judgment Day. And that was the 40th parallel in the wilderness, okay? And all of this shaped national policy, starting with the research of this man, James Adair, who wrote a book, The History of American Indians. This man was a friend of George Washington. This man was a friend of Elias Boudinot. This man was like a, a personal confidant to many of the founding fathers, okay? And in his History of American Indians, he presented 23 arguments that he felt proved that, you know, the Algonquin were the lost 10 tribes, okay? The way they organized their tribal structure, 
the way they worship Yehovah, uh, their notions of theology, their relationship with angels, their language, their dialect, the way they counted time, prophets and priests of the different clans, their festivals, religious rites, sacrifices, ablutions and anointings, marriage, crime and punishment, the fact that these were cities of refuge, you know, which ties into the story of the prophets, you know, all seeking refuge, refuge from Ezekiel through Jonah. Their purification ceremonies, their ornaments, the way they buried their dead, uh, as well as their own traditions of who they said they were. Okay, all of these things are there built argument on that, yo, these Algonquin here, they'd have lost 10 tribes, okay? <clears throat> and again, national policy was built on this, around this character, Elias Boudinot, who uh, born right here in Philly, president of the Continental Congress, okay? Signer Declaration of Independence. He's the one who wrote peace treaty with England in 1782. And he was the first director of the Mint. So a very significant founding father. He wrote a book called A Star in the West, a humble attempt to discover the long lost 10 tribes of Israel, right? Where he more or less argued that the Algonquin were the lost tribes. And the US had an opportunity to link these lost tribes with their Jewish brethren, right? Uh, Jews from Europe. And that both groups could be united under a Christian banner, save mankind, and lead America into a new millennium. He also wanted to use them and a crusade to retake Jerusalem. <clears throat> okay, so that is, you know, how we could say the, the order of the Rosy Cross that was right, first established here in the US, right here in Philly by Johann Kelp. How that is how uh, they intentionally calculated the land that they were looking for, as well as the people they were looking for. Inspired William Penn to found his colony here, to tap the significance of this land, you know, in terms of where it is in prophecy and then subsequently the nation, you know? And I think when we factor all that in, these questions do take on other levels of relevance, you know? Why was the US born here? Why is the land so valued here, you know? And uh, 
Yeah, even today, why is the United Nations here? And will not be open. So that's that's uh, what I would share on the 40th parallel today, you know? <laughs> uh, any final words? Uh, nah, not at this point, because I'll open it to you and then we okay. can just... Uh, Go from there. Because I'm chomping at the bit to talk, but I wanted to make certain that you have completed that uh, that uh, amazing presentation. Can I can I ask a favor? Will Please. you take off the screen share? All right. Down on the bottom. On this, there we go. All right. There all right. Go. All right. So, uh, wow. So. We could we could we could do a show on on one slide. We could do a show on one slide. So um, there are a couple things. Where do I want to begin? A couple of ideas. I just want to before it leaves my mind. Um, uh, one is the approach of looking at the land itself uh, as a clue, and then also looking at the history, and particularly the most recent part of the history, which we're told as to clues as to the significance of this location. Um, I approach in a very, very uh, similar way. And so it's, it's really fun to go in and see that. Um, and the, the first thing I, I want to talk about before I get into the actual land itself was the significance of um, the society of the woman in the wilderness and the significance of what you were talking about. And I've, and I've heard you, you, you mentioned this um, in previous presentations about like the, the, the hijacking of timelines, the taking over, the, the, the renaming. And, and I'm of the opinion right now of like when I look at all these stories, like, you know, I try not to jump into good guy, bad guy, because the deeper you go into this, the more you realize that it's designed to be complex. And so like to, to take a simplistic outlook at like, okay, this is what's going on. I try not to go down that path. So that being said, like the Rosicrucians, like there's a lot, uh, I have my opinion on what they, what they are, but, but that's a key thing for me to really understand this area. And it is my research which points to that the very beginning of the colonization scheme uh, head by Britain was always in the hands of the Rosicrucians. We know this through Francis Bacon. And so this guy, Francis Bacon, was um, uh, the, the Rosicrucian, their, their first touch in the new world, uh, or at least public touch, uh, predates Kelpius by, I don't know, like 75 years. Like it was from the very, very beginning. And the very beginning of the whole thing is um, the Roanoke colony, the lost colony of Roanoke. And, you know, that's, in my opinion, that's a, that's a, in my opinion, it is known from the beginning for a variety of reasons that this was the location, specifically what, what we're talking about, the 40th parallel in this area of Pennsylvania. I'm going to show a map real quick and you're going to understand it, uh, how it connects. But that was always known as the location, you know, for whatever means that was known. And the first arrival, the first known was, was this lost colony of Roanoke. It was run by a guy who was, um, uh, und who was 
studied under John D. John D is the British Empire guy. He's the head of the Rose. Like we don't know anything about him. We just know these stories. But but um John D is is the is at least given to us as the mastermind. And he's the guy and he was the first to apply Euclid geometry to like navigation. Britain was this tiny little country and they jumped everyone like in Europe in like the 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 battle of takeovers. And it was because of their their advancement in navigation. And this comes from John D. So John D, he uh his guy, I think his name was like Harlot, Thomas Harlot. He was like the right-hand man of the guy who started the the lost colony. There are a couple different versions of it. Uh, uh, and so he's like, he's telling him where to go. He's in his ear. And, um, you know, the whole thing, what happens is they, they did the colony, the governor went away and they came back and everyone was gone. It's mysterious. I think it, uh, a good thing or a, a logical thought in looking at the modus operandi is that that was a, a, a sacrifice, a human sacrifice sort of thing for what was about to occur. And so the point where I'm going all with this is, you know, as it ties to the woman of the wilderness, what has become part of the, the collective mythos of what we think of, you know, the American history, the story told of, of like the colonization of, of this particular part of land, which you just, you know, you gave us the context for, it, it, it begins with um, the woman of the wilderness. Because what we're told is the first English child born and baptized, regardless if it's true or not, it's the symbol of it that was born in the new world. So think, this is the symbol. It was a young girl known as Virginia Dare. And so the naming is so important. So right away, Virginia, I'm naming the first person born here, Virginia Dare. Um, and Virginia is, a, is, is named after Queen Elizabeth, who was sitting on the throne at the time. She was the Virgin Queen. She was the Virgo. And um, dare, like, what does dare mean? It's like, you know, do you have the gall, the courage to go forward with like the most amazing and ridiculous of plans? Like we're this tiny little nation and we're gonna take over the friggin' world and we're gonna begin it here with this land. And then Virginia Dare, as the mythology goes, is everyone was wiped out. Uh, everyone was sacrificed at this lost colony except for Virginia Dare. And depending upon the mythology of it, she was either raised by the people of the area or she was raised by the wilderness itself. She is the original wild woman of the wilderness. And so this is where they stake their, 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 their beginning. 20 years later is when Jamestown comes into play. Same sort of players, but it begins with, um, it begins with uh, uh, with the same uh, woman in the wilderness, girl in the wilderness, and she's named. I mean, it's so much of this is naming, as you said. So, like the beauty of being able to look at names and where they come from is is significantly important, I believe, in terms of understanding what we're looking at. So, I'm gonna pull up a, a slide right now, okay? So what we have here, you showed a really, really nice map drawing of, um, of, of the water systems of Philadelphia. Now we're going to look at it from satellite. And, and when you talk about it so much like the, the right here, this is where's the 40th parallel, 40th parallel is right here. That's the 40th parallel. I know that because I know this hump. I used to live right there. We're right on the same line. This right here is the Susquehanna River. 
This right here is the Delaware River, and you can see they come together. And you can see right here, this is the Chesapeake Bay, and this is the Delaware Bay. Right down here is where James, actually Jamestown was established here, but it began right here in the mouth of the bay. And a little bit further down, that's where the lost colony of Roanoke. But in my, in my opinion, in the way which I understand this, it is this area, really this, this, like you could see how it almost has this like hourglass shape going out and going in, going out and going in. This area is the wilderness. This is the wilderness, which we have right here. Um, and one of the, the reason I say that is because of all of the clues and, and the markers. And we can see that by actual unfolding of, of, of the storyline, um, both the history and then just like, you know, common sense observation. Um, so one of the things which, which I think is highly significant, which you pointed out is the, um, is the, uh, uh, the, the, the population center. So right up here is New York City. Um, we could see Philadelphia is right here. This is Baltimore, this is DC. Okay, this is the line right here. This is, uh, if we were to extend it, I, I can't, can't extend it any further, up to Boston. That's a 400 mile stretch. That in this 400 mile stretch from Washington, D.C. to Boston has the most amount of people anywhere on earth in a 400 mile stretch. It's the most densely populated. Um, and as you said, like the, the, the real estate value or the collective real estate value, obviously there are gonna be some places where, where it may be more expensive, maybe, maybe not, but like this is the concentration without, without necessarily going into saying like meaning, we can symbolically understand like, okay, this is really, really significant. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this, with this map, if you've ever seen it before. This is the best ley line map I've ever seen of, um, of the same area. Oh, they don't have the ley line right here, which is showing the one I want to point it out. This is the focus around Seneca Falls. Um, so let me go and I'm gonna switch back to this. But the point I want to make is, so we know about this particular ley right here, and we know about this energy, but then there's this. There's this other part, this other part right here. And, to your point of of like look how look at all of the energy look what is actually here this is the bedrock of 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 you know financial trading the united nations all of this sort of stuff um right there it's highly highly concentrated we have we have law we have military right here actually no right here there's dc um and then we've got this and this is friggin' dead like in terms of the number of people who live here, like, like, as I said in the beginning, like who, no one knows what this is. No one lives here. In fact, I saw this very, very, uh, I used to have this poster, um, which was really, really um, significant to me. And it was a picture of the globe uh, at night. And you can see the, you could see the population centers of the earth by, by the, uh, um, by the uh, uh, brightness of the lights and it was all done by satellites like the whole thing was done at, at dark and you could see this very very like uh, glowing bright line from from Boston down to Boston down to uh, DC in fact actually all the way down the east coast and then um, when you looked at it there was to the to the west outside of this map you could see the high concentration of light right here which would be um, Philadelphia or Pittsburgh 
And in the middle, it became very clear that there was this black spot, this spot of no light whatsoever. And it showed to me without like, you know, just very symbolically, like this area has been left alone. And so when you put in context of what you're saying about like the age of this area, like without getting and say like, well, you know, it's not a competition. It's an understanding of the workings of how life works on earth, you know, without getting into like outside of earth, earth and earth experiences and, and things that live on earth, there's a bit of a hierarchy and age matters in that hierarchy. You know, whether that's like the groups of humans, we recognize that those with the most amount of time, like, you know, walking around need to be treated just for that reason alone with a higher degree of respect. The oldest part of our experiences make up all of our, 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 our personality and our psychology. And so when we look at just old, we know that there's something true to it. And so this land, you know, what we're seeing right now, and particularly right now, as we are in the process of a turning of the ages, um, a recognition of like the, 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 the older stories, I think is very, very important. And particularly, like, particularly in lines of what you were saying in the beginning of the, the thoughts of you want to be where the wilderness, the, <laughs> you want to be there during the, during the apocalypse. Now, in my opinion, the apocalypse has happened. That's what I was talking about. We're at year one. The apocalypse is not necessarily the apocalypse. We are where we are. We're still around. And so it doesn't necessarily like have to be the fire and brimstone. Who knows? Maybe it will be. But nonetheless, we are unfolding this story. We are understanding it. And all of our eyes and perspectives have a different piece. So that being said, I want to go back to the population centers. Right here in Philadelphia, this is where Johann Kelpius uh uh, where he set up his camp. And you are so right, the 40 on the 40 on the 40 on the 40. If you, were to ex if you were to look at a map, go and look at a map of the United States, one where it shows where it shows the 40th parallel going across it, like a pretty big map, like a poster map, and you trace your finger across all the states where the 40th parallel crosses, you will see that in every one of those states, the state capital is if not on the 40th parallel, like probably plus or minus 10 miles north or south. That's where all the seats of power are. If you go and you look at the rest of the, the globe, what I think is probably the most interesting city outside of, you know, right here, Beijing. Beijing is spot on. So is Madrid, right in the heart of Basque country, right? You know, so those are the, and then where it goes through Turkey, like when you, I think that those are clues too of like the certain element of whatever it means to be on this earth at the 40th parallel, like there's a certain quality to that. But where I wanna go with this, so this is where it begins. The, the, the Rosicrucians, they come right here and they start Jamestown. And Jamestown is quite literally the birthplace of the British Empire and the United States. It is that seed. That's why symbology is so important. There's like a real story which people experience, but there's a mythic story which is just as real too. And so from there is where we get this map. One of the, what I, <laughs> this is a whole nother conversation, but one of the, one of the people you did not mention, you know, the people who I find who, who capture my awareness the most were the Susquehannocks. And so we see the Susquehannocks over here. We, you show, you talked about this drawing right here, but I'm not even going to get into that. I want to get into this little thing right here. 
on the top of this map is this reversed 40, this Susquehannock. The Susquehannocks are giant like people. And here's the Susquehanna River. And you see that the arrow, the, 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 the butt of the bow is pointing at the, um, at the, the mouth of this river. At the mouth of this river is also known as Council Rock. It was a very significant meeting place. I want to point out right here, though this is called a Susquehannock and it's a drawing of a Susquehannock, this is not a Susquehannock. It's something else. The original drawing comes from the lost colony of, of, of Roanoke. It is, and it's labeled, it's done by, it was done by John White was the artist. This is just an updated version. And the original drawing was of someone named Manateo, I believe. He was baptized, or at least the story goes, he was a chief of the people in that area and they baptized him. Whether it was done willingly, whatever that means, I don't know, but that's the storyline. And this is he, but he is shown as a she. Like there's so much right there, but nonetheless, and we can get into this in a moment, but uh, maybe in the after in, in, in getting into the Susquehannock, the Susquehannocks were not mentioned, but you could see right here that they are holding a very significant placement in the expression of this map. And why do I say that? Because look how big this friggin' map is. It's supposed to be about the Chesapeake Bay right here, but this gets the most amount of visual. This is what matters. And they named people who we don't know what they were named, and he named him Susquehannocks, and he also named a river. We don't know what that river was named either. But nonetheless, it points, and what I'm going to suggest here is it points at a, a location, the 40th parallel, because this is literally the 40, it's the only one that's mirrored, and this is a double entendre. Everything was done like hidden this way, like, like they were like clever. This is known as steganography, it's a pictogram. And so we go and we look at the 40th parallel of the Susquehanna. And we find that right here. We've got this, and this is Philadelphia. So what do we know now? We know that Kelpius, he set up his camp right here. He got here like in the early days of Philadelphia. In fact, if you look at history, they will tell you that the first portrait painted in the colonies was of Kelpius. And you're like, well, what, you know, what does that mean? This is the first person who we are literally, we are ingraining in the consciousness. This is the first being here. This is what we're marking. So eventually he dies. He dies on his 41st birthday. Like he completed a full year at age 40 and then he disappears with the philosopher's stone. So anyway, so then what happens a couple of years later, a guy named Conrad Beisel. He comes, uh, he comes from the same part of the world that Germany is where Kelpius came from. And these guys were all like down the, the path of Zimmerman. Uh, and they're like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here to be part of, I'm, I'm here to be part of, uh, of, of, of what you guys got going on here. And Kelpius is gone and it's kind of like falling apart. And this, the Kelpius is um, his right-hand man. He was like, listen, this is what you're going to do. At least this is a story which is given to us. He's like, you're going to go west. And whereas we had something temporary, and we can't do anything right now because this is no longer the wilderness. More and more and more and more people have come here. I want you to go west. I want you to go to west, and I want you to go um, I want you to go to and set up a permanent colony. So he goes all the way here, and this is Ephrata, and he builds the Ephrata cloister. At the exact same time, at the exact same time, Lancaster City is laid out. Lancaster City is laid out by James Hamilton. James Hamilton was the president of the American Philosophical Society. So this is, he's tied at the hip with Ben Franklin. 
the American Philosophical Society, was, that and the University of Pennsylvania were what was born from the Leather Apron Society. And you know all about, about, uh, about Franklin. So, so we've got James Hamilton, he lays out the city of Lancaster and then they build their first road, the very first turnpike. So it's the first road which it costs money to go on in the colonies. And it went from here to here. It went from the front door it went from the front door of, of the Philadelphia Masonic Temple to the front door of the Lancaster Masonic Temple. And then this road continues exactly to the 40th parallel on the Susquehanna River. So I'm gonna show you, um, so we'd see that from the beginning, there are these connections, there's connections to the same place. So now let's go and, and look at what is there at the Susquehanna River at this exact location. If we go and we look, this is the Susquehanna River. This is the 40th parallel exactly. We see we're going to go and find a park. This is what the park looks like from the sky, sun and a moon. It's exactly there. It's at 40 degrees, zero minutes and six seconds. How far away is it from the river? It's about a half a mile. And then in this perfect, in this perfect, uh, um, in this perfect uh, 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 T square, we find three colleges, both formed in 1787. We got Franklin and Marshall, named after Ben Franklin. We've got York Academy. It's now called York College. It founded York uh, York Academy, founded 1787, also by a guy from the American Philosophical Society. And we got right up here, slightly off the circle, but definitely at a 90 degree. We've got both the Masonic Village, and we've got and we've got uh, Elizabethtown College. Now this just came into into my awareness just recently. If you were to were to continue this line. When I made this, I was like, you know, what's right here? There's nothing. There's cornfields right here. And I was like, okay, that's very interesting. I go there a lot. But if you were to extend that line, here's that same circle, and it goes all the way down, crosses the Chesapeake Bay, and it goes right to Washington College, founded into 1782, predates all of these. George Washington, Ben Franklin. We've got now, and then Lancaster, which is known as the Red Rose City, We've got right here, York, which is the white rose city. We have quite literally a rose cross in the location shown by the Rosicrucians. So now let me go this one last part right here before I go a little bit more into the geography. Let me see where I got on this map. All right, this isn't the map, which I, yeah, this one will work. So the Rosicrucians, their effort to cloister is right on Cocalco Creek. Names matter. Names matter immensely. So it's on Cocalco Creek. If you were to go and follow the Cocalco Creek, or if you were to just go and like hop on a in a in a, in a canoe and go down the Cocalco Creek, will then go and die into the Conestoga River. The Conestoga River is a really really small river. In fact, it's been argued: does it really deserve to be called a river? It's really maybe it's a creek. But nonetheless, the Conestoga has a very, very significant, has a very, very, very significant, has a very significant name in the American history, the American story, and the American consciousness. We have this because the Conestoga wagon. The Conestoga wagon is what is said to have been used to, to, to go west, to conquer the frontier. 
Okay. And so the Conestoga wagon was just like a really well-made wagon, which was good for people to go west in. It could go across things. It could take a, take a, take a licking and keep on ticking, if you will. And so it was made in Conestoga. So there is that link between Conestoga and you see Conestoga wagons in museums across the West, because this is what their, their ancestors used as they moved across the, the land of North America. So we also know the very first private, the very first private space company started in 1984, their first rocket used. So like we think about like SpaceX is a private space company. No, the, 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 the name of the company escapes me right now. It's in Texas. But the first rocket used for private space travel was called the Conestoga. Conestoga is linked. It's linked as to um, being significant and particularly taking over a frontier. But nonetheless, so the Conestoga, you take it down and the Conestoga will then die into the Susquehanna River. Where it dies into the Susquehanna River is where we find the Susquehanna petroglyphs. The Susquehanna petroglyphs is the largest, is the largest, is the largest concentration of petroglyphs on uh, east of the Mississippi, known east of the Mississippi. Maybe there are other places they just just don't know. So where do we find that? Right here is exactly the 40th parallel. Right here is where we see we see this, which opened up on the 400th anniversary of the founding of, of, of Jamestown, like it keeps going back. Um, where are we? And then right here, where is it? Right here is where we find um, the petroglyphs. It's where the Conestoga empties, it, empties out. Right here is where we have all of the, uh, the, the, the Rosicrucians and this is the area which is where the Susquehannocks lived. Now, the Susquehannocks are a very, very, they're a mysterious people. We know very little about them. We know very, very little about them. Um, and I guess I'll talk about them for a moment. So this map came accompanied with a book which was called the general history of Virginia it was written by or it's at least accredited to John Smith just like this map is accredited to John Smith this is also the birthplace of the Pocahontas myth as well um but John Smith you, John Smith is not the man behind it it's, it's Francis Bacon or at least what Francis Bacon represents it's this Rosicrucian organization and in that book, like the, the book was, was like all history, like it it's comes from a perspective, but this was even more than just a perspective. It was uh, the general history was also a bit of a, of a real estate uh, um, like marketing campaign because it was in the interest of the organization, the, the, the for-profit company, which got their charter from King James to colonize the new world. And they needed to get people to go and like move over here. And so there had to be a bit of a sales campaign. So, so part of like, that's what the general history of, of Virginia was about. So the point I'm trying to make is it, it had a bias just to begin with. And in it, and you could see this in this map, this map is, 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 is really, really interesting. Uh, if you look at it, uh, historically speaking, you could see like how accurate it is and you could recognize places. There are all of these like uh, X marks the spots. They have located where the different um, chief houses were. They have like hundreds of different tribes of people living there. Fascinating piece. Um, 
but this map here, this map here, uh, um, it points to us and it, it, it shows us that, um, that the Susquehannock, and this, this is where the Susquehanna River is first named. It says the Susquehanna flu right there. All right, so we want to go back to this. Uh, oh, so, that, so this is where I was going with that. Excuse me. I was talking about the, um, let's talk about the general history. So within the general history, there is talk about the Susquehannocks. And throughout the general history, there is um, not, not really much which was talked about the different people which, which, which John Smith interacted with. There was a decent amount told within the, the Pocahontas story, but something very special happened with the Susquehannocks. Uh, it is said that the Susquehannocks are the most, um, like the, 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 the greatest men that John Smith has ever come across. And it's not really expressed as to why, but it is expressed primarily in their physical stature, in terms of how large they were, the caliber and quality of the clothing which they wore. They dressed unlike anyone else, the sounds of their voices. And, and, their 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 just general way of being and so we know that this is not what they look like we know that is not what they look like and so i'll i find this very interesting too so let me go show you uh slightly off um this slide i'm going to pull up something else uh here is a video right here this disappeared and it just reappeared on youtube today so I watched this a year ago, and this is the only this is the only time, only place I've ever seen anything talk about the Susquehannocks other than how the Susquehannocks have been expressed primarily through the the the, the general history uh, um, uh, book. And so this gentleman right here, he likens them. He, there were two videos, and he he says the Susquehannocks. They're not the Susquehannocks. That's not their name, and we know it's not their name. We know we know that we don't know what they called themselves. We know that that's just what they have been named. Just as you said, uh, Lenape versus Nope versus Delaware. Like you know, you see how like you know names have have gotten away. Uh, but this one, um, this gentleman claims that the uh, the actual name. Is and I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this correctly. Is Sanmantos, Sanmantos, and his research, his research comes from reading the original um, texts of the Jesuits of the time. And so I need to rewatch. I've not verified his information, but I found it very, very fascinating. And his take was very interesting. Um, he claimed that they were black. He claimed that from these texts that they were that 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 they were like the Olmec, the Olmec statues which we see, you know, of the large heads. And and this then this gentleman's take, which I thought was very interesting, he was describing them. He was saying from the same group of people, which we could go look at the body, which, which Shaquille O'Neal comes from, because he talks specifically about the proportions. He was saying these were not just like normal, like tall people. He's like they had a proportion 
which was un which was which was immensely graceful because we see a lot of large people like you know i think of like uh, uh i think of basketball that's where we probably see like modernly like any large people like i think of sean bradley or or i don't know if you remember who minute bowl was and mostly when you see like seven feet tall seven and a half foot tall people they tend to not have the right proportion they're gawky they're not they're not solid and this guy's like this is from a group of people or this group of people the sonomatoas which was called the susquehannocks by john smith they were a giant uh, they were unlike any other people and he was saying like when when john smith describes that he was met by a group of 60 of them and he this guy creates this great this great image in my mind he says that they were met imagine that imagine 60 shacks and shack was just like you know he's seven feet tall imagine seven feet eight feet nine feet tall and when you look at that and you put that in context with like how John Smith, he doesn't explain why they're the greatest people. He's just saying these are the greatest people. And he holds them in the utmost respect. And so this gentleman claims them as a people, he, he referred to them as a gentle giant. He said that they, and so I see this very, very interestingly in relationship to how you described uh, the Lenape as the peacekeepers, because his take, and again, I'm just passing this on, but I'm gonna go with some other interesting things in a moment. His take was that they were positioned as the peacekeepers as well. And the reason why they were such good peacekeepers is because they were so physically different from everyone else that no one dared. And he looked at them and he called them the gentle giants. So I found that very interesting because there's a lot of literature which is out there after the John Smith, which paints these Susquehannocks as a very, very violent and vile people. So now I want to go back to the area and talk about and talk about where and who lived here. Um, I had mentioned I had mentioned before. Uh, that this area here is very, very unpopulated. It's very, very unpopulated currently. It's very currently unpopulated. And what we know is the Susquehannocks lived here, what we're told like historically for probably like, I don't know, like maybe 1500 uh, AD to about maybe 1750. Um, the Susquehannocks are said to be from a genetic, from a genetic um, perspective, like DNA wise, there are no, there are no living ancestors of people carrying Susquehannock uh, DNA. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but that is the official story from the US government that this has been a people completely annihilated. The reason I know that is when they found remains recently on Susquehannock land, they said, if you can prove that you are of this, this is like how the laws are written. If you can prove that you are of this lineage, well, then we will hand it over to you. But if you can't prove that, well, then we don't. And so that and that 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 complemented the story of there just being no living ancestors of that. But 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 this is where I want to go and which which I find almost more interesting than the Susquehannock mystery. The Susquehannock mystery 
is the fact that before the Susquehannocks, there were a group of, of people who lived here, a very, very mysterious group. And what I mean by mysterious is like, we don't know nothing about it, or at least they're not telling us anything about it. And all they're known as is the Shanks Ferry people because they were their, their villages were found in an area along the river right here, which is called Shanks Ferry. And what makes the, well, first, what, what allows these people to have been identified is by their, their pottery. Their pottery styling was different than anyone else's pottery styling. So that was kind of the first clue. The second clue about these people was that they did not live, their villages were not in stockades, meaning there were no barricades, there were no protections. They had no enemies. They had nothing to be worried about. And then the last thing was they buried their dead in a way which was different than, and this comes from archaeologists, so I can only just pass on the information which I know from archaeologists, is, is that they, they buried their dead with all of the heads facing the east and their spines going east-west. And nowhere else in this area has that been found with how they treated their dead. And so that was seen as very significant in terms of their understanding with at least the movement of the sun. Whether that is the reason, I don't know, but I do know that that is significant. So now I'm gonna go and round back out on the story of the Susquehanna. In fact, you know, I kind of like working with the people because we talked about people a lot. And this is a, an indication of what I think this is interesting. So in, in real life, in real life, um, you know, there is, this is, this is not a populated area. The most populated cities, which you're going to know on the Susquehanna are, are going to be Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which is the capital of Pennsylvania, which is not a particularly big city. Um, Scranton, Pennsylvania. Scranton's very significant and uh, I'm not going to go into it. That could be another time, but Scranton, it's not, it's not, it's not a, a, a populated area and we can, we can appreciate this. And I almost get the sense, and this is, this is kind of my, my own inner, my own inner sense of telling the story um, or an understanding it because we're human beings and we understand things through story. We're story people. And so we look, I look at this area as you know, this is the wilderness. This is what, what is symbolically known as the tabernacle. This is the tabernacle, okay? And so within the tabernacle, within the story we know of the tabernacle, you've got an outer chamber and you got an inner chamber. They're both inside the tabernacle. So they're very, very important. And the tabernacle, you know, that is that was the moving location of the Ark of the Covenant in the wilderness. And this is the wilderness right here, as you pointed out. And so we have an outer uh, we have an outer location and we have an inner location, but it's all within it. And how we see this and how we know this is by how much, who's allowed to see. This is the, the holy of holies, if you will. I almost like, you know, that's how I, the story I see of the, the people we call the Shanks Ferry people, and particularly of the story of the Sonomonitus, or, or however that's pronounced. Maybe they are two different people entirely. And that's what this gentleman has pointed out. That what I don't know, but this area is special. It has been marked and it has been taken. So the last thing has to do with a gentleman by the name of Talakiel. Now, I never had the opportunity to meet Talakiel. Uh, he, he, he transitioned in 2012. Talakiel is, is actually a title. It's not a name. 
and he comes from the Mesoamerican culture, the Toltec, the Toltec heritage. And Tlaquiel is said to be the title of the elder of the elders. So all the elders, they, 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 they meet and then they select a spokesperson in the same way that the cardinals get together and they select, they select a pope. And Tlaquiel was that title and he, was, and he was the, held that title for 50 years and he was raised, he was raised for that title. So he would travel the earth and he would, he would teach and he would, he would learn. And that was, that was his life's journey. And he came again and again to the, um, he came to the, the Susquehanna petroglyphs and he was very interested in them. And he, he said a lot of the petroglyphs he did not understand, but one of the petroglyphs was very, very, very meaningful to him. And that was the petroglyph of Humak, of, of, of the last king of Tula. Of the last king of Tula. And I'm getting this story from a gentleman by the name of Paul Nevin. Paul Nevin has presented this story. He is probably the most living expert, archaeological expert of the petroglyphs. And he was primarily Tlaquiel's um, tour guide. And, and Tlaquiel was very interested in that, in, that, in that petroglyph because of its connection to Tula to the, the last city of the Toltec Empire. And he was also very, very interested in, um, in a place which was called um, Cocalco. And Cocalco may sound familiar because Cocalco, um, I, I think I mentioned it, Cocalco is the name of the creek which, which the Rosicrucians built their permanent colony on. And Cocalco is an Algonquin word. And Cocalco means den of snakes. Now, phonetically, Kokalko is also a Nahual word. And Nahual is said to be a completely different language family of Algonquin. And Nahual is the language of the Mesoamerican culture. And within the creation myth, or particularly the Aztec creation myth, it begins at the the, the, the house of snakes, and that is called Kokalko. So we have two words from different language families that are phonetically the same, which mean the same thing, house of snakes. And we find that we will go and trace that creek all the way down, all the way down to um, the petroglyphs. And that petroglyph was very meaningful to Tlaquiel. Now there's one more Tlaquiel story I'm going to share, and then I'll 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 open you know I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll let this now turn into a dialogue after that. So along my journeys, along my investigations, uh, I within Southern Lancaster there is there's a a, a sizable community that connects to their native. American ancestry. It's a small sort of kind of like a subgroup. And there's kind of, there was a like a, a meeting spot. There's a meeting place where, where they would all kind of meet. It was called Coyote Trails. And the reason why was two things. Coyote Trails was a um, it was a craft store. Uh, and I used to go there to get leather when I would make handiworks. And the man who owned it, his name was Denny. 
They called him Chief Denny. Denny was the uh, North American, the United States, the two North American leaders of, and I, I think I'm pronouncing this correctly, of the Mateus, M-E-T-I-S family. And so there's a Canadian and, an, and, a, and the United States. And Denny was the leader of the United States. And so people would come over and they, they would share in his wisdom. And Denny was also the owner of the shop. And Denny and I, we developed a relationship. And he used to start telling me stories. He used to tell me stories. And he would tell me a lot of stories of Talakiel, and he knew Talakiel, and Talakiel would come, and when he, he came many, many times to this area to study the petroglyphs, I think it, it was said he came like seven or eight different times in his travels. And one of the things which Denny shared with me, and so this is hearsay, this is hearsay, <laughs> so, and I'm just saying that, I'm not saying that's true or false, I'm just saying I haven't heard this with my own ears. And so, but, and I don't know if Denny was, trying to get my goat. I don't know if Denny was telling me something, but my sense was he was telling me something. He said that Talakiel, the reason he kept coming is because he was raised and he was told that there was an area on the eastern, in the eastern part of the, of the United States, which was the original, the original home of what the Mesoamerican, what the Mesoamerican, um, uh, distribution of cities, if you will, were a model of. So what you see in what we now think of Guatemala and Mexico and all of that was a replica of a much, 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 much more ancient civilization. And that civilization is just where we're talking about. And Talakiel would keep looking because he was told there was partly, there was, there was, there was a, there was a, um, there was a drawing, there was a rock, there was a marker, there was something which he was looking for, which was the key. It was almost like a map, if you will. And he drew a picture of it and he would ask Denny, he's like, hey, Denny, this is what I'm looking for. Do you have this? Have you seen this? And then Denny did not know what it was, but he took a photograph of it. And so a couple years after, after Talakiel had passed away, uh, the there was a pipeline which went through Lancaster City, or went through Lancaster County, it was a big deal. And it went through a, a southern part of Lancaster, which is where all of this really, really significant area is. In fact, it was where William Penn wanted to build a world-class city, right where the Conestoga empties on the petroglyphs, right where all of this action is. Um, and there was a family, there was a family who had, uh, they had owned their family land since uh, 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 William Penn deed. And this was a family that had a consciousness and awareness of the significance of the land, which they were, they were given the responsibility to hold. And the pipeline went through it. The pipeline went through their land. And as the pipeline went through their land, it unearthed some stuff. And one of the things that unearthed was this rock. And on this rock, there was like all of these carvings. They brought it to Denny. And Denny like said, he was like, well, that rock matched the picture of what Talakiel showed me. So again, this is like story after story after story. And I want to be the first person to say that because I don't want to go and say there's anything, but I want to point out that you have identified and what I have been identifying and looking at seems to be pointing over and over to this location of being very, very significant. 
to a variety of people from different perspectives. And we're seeing this geologically, we're seeing this historically, we're seeing this, this, this in, in mythologically. And at this time of you and, my, you and me talking about it, like, like now at this moment in our collective history, as everything is being birthed anew, perhaps now is when the curtains are going to be further revealed. So it's with that, my friend, I'm going to step off of the, uh, <laughs> I'm going to step off of the platform and, and, and just kind of like, uh, hear what you need to reflect back, hear what, what, what jumped out at you. Well, I want to say, I think we should just plan a whole show on Lenape Susquehanna relations. I do have a lot I want to build with you on, but I want to even talk to you about it beforehand, like kind of off screen, kind of get some views on it because, well, I will say this about them. I saw in one of your previous videos that the apron that's being worn by the Susquehannock was like a, it appeared like a Masonic apron. It most definitely does. Right. Uh, I think there were, uh, amongst the indigenous in the Americas, there was some who followed ball, you know? The uh, Canaanite Masonic god ball. Mm -hmm. And I think the Susquehanna may have been one of those and i think the masons and the rosicrucians coming here looked for the indigenous that worked with ball and they aligned with them through their worship of ball i think that's what distinguishes the iroquois and the susquehanna algonquin speakers but uh, that's like I say, man. That's for a whole nother conversation. That I would say that would be a that would be a another rabbit hole. That undoubtedly, you know? undoubtedly, because there is there's a lot of there's a lot of information uh, which I think needs to be looked at uh, deeply from different perspectives. Because you know, part of the part of the Rosicrucian style is to both hide and 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 like confuse to, to to confuse with their storytelling but then also to include all of the pieces to be put together yes yeah so I think we froze up for a moment. Can you still hear me? You all right, you there? Yeah, now I got you, now I got you. All right. 
So that so did you hear my question? No, I, as soon as I said something about the Rosicrucians, it locked up. All right. I was I was asking, could you speak on the ancientcy of the Susquehanna River and and its role in all that you've been talking about? talking about because I've seen on your previous videos you say the Susquehanna is one of the oldest rivers in the world. Correct. And Correct. what relevance do you think that has in like what we've been sharing today? All right. All right. So so first is like how do how do we know that? Um uh again like you know I, I see this from like you know science journals. Um the, you can't you can't cut a river in half, and you can't you can't um, you can't count the rings. So, but we can make some some guesstimates. So, whether or not it's the actual oldest or like the fifth oldest, I'm not certain. But the logic behind it comes from the fact that you know you can you can tell which forms first between a mountain chain and a river for whether or not a river goes around the mountains or goes through them. And if a mountain chain forms before a river, well, then the river goes around it. Like we see that with the Amazon, like when it hits the Andes, it does that like sharp turn. So the Susquehanna goes through the Appalachians and we know the Appalachians are some of the oldest rivers. So coupled with that, within, within fossils, that's how we go and we see it as, um, as, as uh, um, its age. So or, or we know that's old. We don't know exactly how old it is. Now, to me, I look for other markers. I'm like, well, that puts you in the ball. That puts you in the in the uh, um, in the ballpark. There are three there are three rivers on the east coast, which are. Uh, estimated to be around the same age, formed around the same time. It's the Susquehanna, the French Broad, and the New River. Uh, North Carolina, uh, West Virginia, and then through New York and Pennsylvania. Now, to me, I would think that there would be other very, very clear markers. Well, let me take a, a, a step back. Um, flowing, flowing water to me, like naturally flowing water is a living symbol with the unfoldment of life. Like that's why water, like when we hear about worshiping water, you know, people that they're river worshipers, it's like, I think that's a little bit like worship is probably an accurate word, but it's more of an understanding of the connectivity of the mystery of life. And if we look at life like a dream, like dream time, and we understand dreams through symbols, if there is a living symbol, which is, which is um, uh, best representative of what the life experience is, it's, it's, it's the river. You know, it's moving water. It's all, you know, it's, it's movement. That is what life is. And you can see it, touch it, stand in it, all of these sort of things. And that is what, what river, what the water really is. And so that is why water, I believe, is important. And I think this was this was inherently known. Like this wasn't like this was just like as obvious as is like when I'm hungry, I need to eat. Like it was just like, oh, this is just the way. And so we don't have that. Like the people, maybe some people of us do. Some of us have like we have memories, perhaps. But this was once a thing that was known. Okay. 
And so that's why water in general matters. And then age, as I indicated before, matters because for probably a, a variety of reasons, but age matters just because we can go and, and, and it holds influence in a, in a community of people. The oldest person you know, should hold the most amount of influence. Their wisdom should, would, should carry the most amount of weight when deciding what to do you know, in theory. And so age matters. And so if water, like quite literally, deals with that, to me, it's this the 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 transition from the from the from the from the physical to the mystery. And that's why we go and we interact and we understand like the oldest river is is, is significant. So, but then how do we know which is the oldest and how do we know what would be important? And I think that it would just things truth should be self-evident. Truth should not require, it should not require an advanced degree and equipment, which other people like, yeah, maybe more insight, but, but greater truth should be quite evident. And so when looking at the Susquehanna River, and particularly with all we know right now, we can see on the geology, right at the, right at the, 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 the mouth of the river, the mouth of the river is where we find, we find, um, not so much exactly right now. We find we find the Herkimer uh, the Herkimer deposit of quartz. Mm. You know the Herkimer diamonds. Herkimer diamonds uh, are located probably right now about fifteen miles away from where the mouth of the river begins in Cooperstown. And so, what makes the Herkimer a unique uh, 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 specimen is is two things. You know, the 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 tens of thousands of locations of where we find quartz crystals on Earth. Uh, there are only a handful where you find double terminated, naturally double terminated, and then of those, you don't have the water clarity of of Herkimer. And so, without getting into like what that means, regardless of a culture, I get and and if you've ever been like. In Herkimer, like like you find them in all the streams, like they don't they're not cut. Like this is the way they're naturally shaped and found, um, and particularly before they just started being you know taken all the time. They 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 were they were immensely plentiful. They're only plentiful in a certain area. Um, that would be a really big indication of the quality of a marker, if you will, of the river. It's the same area. It's the same land. If you're walking around and you see this, you're like, I might not know what this is, uh, but I know that this is something because I haven't seen anything right. like this anywhere else. So because what you're saying basically is what becomes the Chesapeake Bay starts where you can harvest these amazing ancient Herkimer diamonds. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't know that. So, so that's a clue. If you look at the Chesapeake Bay, like the Chesapeake Bay is literally the river. Like uh, 13,000 years ago is when the Chesapeake Bay formed. The river is said to be like 300 million years old. You know, it's just like, it, it's, it, it, it was just formed. But when you look at what the Chesapeake actually is, particularly like in the current like state of earth, um, in its temperature, in its size, like it is the most, it is so abundant with life, or at least it was, you know, in terms of being an estuary. And we have that as the Susquehanna River. This is what it became. We see it the like right in the Chesapeake Bay, we have an enormous crater, one of the largest craters found on earth. Like these to me are all markers of significance of just like, okay, well, let me pay, pay a little bit more attention. Uh, 
Scranton, this is what I find is so interesting about Scranton. Scranton is built on top of the largest deposit of anthracite on earth. Mm. So what is anthracite? Anthracite is a type of coal. And all coal is to me, like this, this how, coal is rock that catches on fire. Other rock doesn't catch on fire. This rock catches on fire. It's fire rock. But it's not like rock formed from fire. It's fire can be released in it. Of all of the coals found throughout, throughout Earth, anthracite is the purest, meaning that is 99.9% .9 carbon and then 1.01% or less of other materials. And all other coal has um, is classified as something else, okay? So let's go and, uh, this makes anthracite very hard to light. It also makes it that there's no smoke. There's no smoke. So imagine this, like you got coal, you know, oh, this is a rock that can, that can catch on fire. And you think about, and, and you know those qualities. These are inherent truths, regardless of application. Other rocks don't catch on fire, this one will. This is rock that has smoke. If you are like inside, it's going to, it's going to leave a market. That without like saying what that is, that's a truth. All right, anthracite, when I burn this, there is no soot. What is that? What is that purity? So again, I'm not necessarily, I'm looking at these as markers of uniqueness. Markers right. of in all places on the earth. It's like the human body. Like your hands are friggin' unique as can be. Your tongue is so friggin' unique. It's not a competition, but it's an understanding the nature of things. Yeah. And so all of that, so we look at all of these clues. Like when I look at the Susquehanna, I look at these clues. Now, let me tell you something, Joe Biden, He's from Scranton. Hillary Clinton, she's from Scranton. They're, they're, they're so, the, the TV show, The Office, it's from Scranton. Like the, right. the, 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 the Buffalini crime family, the biggest crime family. How do you know it's the biggest mafia crime family? Because you've never heard of them. That's how the mafia works. If you've heard of them, they're not the biggest one. Their entire thing is secret. They're from Scranton. Scranton is like whatever Scranton is. Like there's a lot of like there's a lot of something there, you know. Right. But, so that being so, that's why I'm saying like this is kind of like it's complex. When I look at all of this, like you know, it's like this complex. So all of that being said, so the Rosicrucians. This is this is the way I understand it. This is the way the story that makes sense to me. There was a four hundred year state-sponsored magical ritual on the Susquehanna River because it's the oldest, most significant river. It was done with Enochian magic. It was done this way as to get like, and this is why we find on the river, we find the birthplace of globalism, Jamestown. We find the birthplace of computer technology industry, ENIAC, and we see the birthplace of distribution of electricity at Sunbury. Sunbury, PA is where the, where the, where the river, the, the main branches come together. And it used, its ancient name was uh, Shemokin. There's a, still a Shemokin, and, and it, that phonetically, and it was very, very significant. Like, if you haven't been there, like, there's a, the, the face that's carved into the side of, of it, the, the, of, of Shemokin is, is spectacular. But nonetheless, each of these, each of these world first, these first fruits. So the, the, the river is, this is what Enochian magic is. If you read what Enochian magic is, it is a magic of domination. 
It's mm. not like, you know, we live in a magical world. We live in a, myster in, in, in a mystical, mysterious working of worlds. Like that's a magical view and that makes sense to me. But then there's other magic, which is about magic of dominance and Enochian magic. Like if you read about it, that's what it's about. By practicing Enochian magic, this is what it says. It is to control tutelatory spirits or earth spirits. Hmm. Susquehanna River, you, a forest has a spirit. You got like, you know, the a mountain's got a spirit. A tree's got a spirit. Every creek's got a spirit. But what they did was they went to the oldest, most significant spirit and they put it in bondage. When did they put it in bondage? 1607. What? Look at everything that this period lines up with. It's the 13th Bakhtun. Like it all lines up. What did they do? They put their first fruits on this so that on or under the influence of the Susquehanna that what was put upon it it must bear fruit is exactly like what you're talking about what was done in Philadelphia that it must be accepted life must unfold based upon what was what was put upon this river it had no choice that was the nature that's what like oh. that's what that's what they're telling us is what the Enochia magic is and so you go and you see that and like it's this is where we are now i see a smile you want to share well no i'm thinking i'm thinking we should save these for other shows man all right you know like that we could choose that as it like uh how did Enochia magic express in philly Lane cat, you know what I mean? Definitely. I, I Definitely. think we gave, I think we gave the people a lot to chew on for this episode. You know, it's just the the significance of the fortieth parallel. You know. Well, we're just about at two hours, so I think. <laughs> but yeah, man, this was phenomenal. You know, uh, and uh, good way to activate this new moon energy. And uh, yeah, man, we're gonna line up something for the uh, Aquarian full moon. Maybe we could talk about the election since Aquarius deals with technology and futurism, right? Right. Maybe we could talk about electricity and ENIAC and Philadelphia experiment and how, you know, I think that makes sense. Unfolded. Yeah, that'd be a great episode too, you know? So, so and just to point out, the uh, uh, ENIAC, uh, it just celebrated its, its, and so there's another connection. ENIAC, it, it, University of Pennsylvania, then put on in, in Aberdeen Proving Grounds. Uh, right. Last week was its 75th birthday. Wow. Right? right? I didn't hear about that, but that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yep. So they uh, are actually no. Let me take that back. They announced it on Feb on February fifteenth, nineteen forty six, is when it was introduced to the public. When it was put in the public consciousness. So let's do that. Let let's let's talk about Enoch, Enochian, all of that uh, electricity mm, and and inverted. Yeah. In my opinion, that's how I'm going to yeah. describe it. Inverted Aquarian myth mythos. Mm, yes, yes, yes. All right. Pure excitement. Well, give thanks, man. From one mystic to another, I salute you from the 40th parallel. Yes, I.